Spiritually Grown. I'm your host, Brian Willie, along with my co-host, John Kessler. Episode 76 features leadership advocate and author of the new book, The Bus Trip, Jamie Beckler. Mr. Beckler will explain to us his esteemed career in coaching, his leadership training under the legendary John Maxwell, ways to build a championship culture that empowers and cultivates leadership, and a preview of his latest book, The Bus Trip, and the 10 principles that all players can do that will help them in both sports and in life. This season, Intentionally Grounded is partnering with First Down Playbook. For coaches looking for a playbook software that is user-friendly and can deliver the clarity necessary to share and communicate your scheme with coaches and players alike, check out First Down Playbook. For more information, check out their website at firstdownplaybook.com. And for our listeners of our show, enter the code IGFB20 when purchasing individual or program memberships to receive a discount at checkout. Again, that code is IGFB20. Don't forget to check out our website at igfootballcoach.com for all our blog posts and podcast episodes. And check out our newly released YouTube channel that houses the video cast version of our podcast episodes as well, along with additional content related to leadership, football, and coaching development. Season 3, Episode 26 of Intentionally Grounded with Mr. Jamie Beckler starts now. Today we're joined by our guest, Jamie Beckler. Uh, Mr. Beckler, please introduce yourself to our audience and, and share your background in leadership and coaching. Yeah, I appreciate you having me on, Brian. And uh, yeah, I spent uh, about 20 years as a college basketball coach at uh, uh, Division One, Division Two, II, Division Three, and NAIA. And uh, I spent some time as both a men's and a women's coach. I started off in the men's game as a graduate assistant at Kent State University. And, uh, but I spent most of my career in the South and most of my career uh, as a head coach of women's programs. And uh, then I had this idea that I wanted to be an athletic director. And so I left coaching to go be an athletic director at a school in Indiana that had a, a, a large athletic program, a lot of history, a lot of success, uh, the fifth largest high school gym in the world. Uh, nobody has won more boys basketball state titles. Uh, than the place that I went. And so I went there for a couple of years and, and did a number of things there uh, with instituting student athlete leadership teams and uh, uh, totally overhauling their budget system and, and getting them out of debt and, uh, uh, you know, hiring some new coaches and, and getting some state tournaments at our place. And it was, it was a fun time. But then I, uh, I had an opportunity to go get trained by John Maxwell and his leadership team and uh, did that and took on a, a a slightly bigger platform and uh, of, of speaking across the country to, to various sports teams, uh, both pro college and high school and, and working with uh, different teams at those levels and then uh, speaking at different conferences. And I started a podcast myself, just like you in, in your podcast, Brian, I, I've started one myself called Success is a Choice. And, uh, and I've also written a couple books. So uh, I've done a few things here. But uh, yeah, I've been out of organized athletics for a couple years now. And uh, I'm on my own now as an entrepreneur. We can go back to, you know, your career as a coach. You left your last college as the winningest coach in program history. Talk to us a little bit about some of the foundational tenets of your coaching philosophy and how you built your culture into the program. Yeah, well, I went to, uh, I went to that school, my last school. It was called Martin Methodist College, and it was a NAIA school in Tennessee. And uh, 
they had never really had uh, a lot of success. They had, they'd gone through a number of coaches and uh, you know, it was kind of a stepping stone job. And so when a coach would have any kind of like uh, uh, you know, light at the end of the tunnel and, and maybe go 500, then they would bounce because they took a team that was losing and, and made it reasonable and respectable. And so then they would bounce and then the next coach would have to start all over again. And so we went in there and uh, you know, one of the things we did was we, we did pretty much a full audit of the, of the program and where were they at, what, what kind of athletes or non-athletes did they have, what kind of skills did they have, what kind of character did they have, and would it fit our style and what we wanted to do and, and what was going to be needed to uh, take the program to a higher level. And, and we kind of looked at it and, and uh, we brought in, man, I think we brought in seven transfers that first year. Um, because what we wanted to do was we wanted to have a huge increase and, uh, and, and win as soon as possible. But we also brought in the kind of kids that I thought would fit my style and the kind of kids that I thought would have uh, would be uh, not necessarily high character kids, you know, that, that gets thrown around a lot, but, but the kids that were coachable, the kids that maybe were at risk kids that other people passed on but that when I talked to them, I felt that they were somebody that was coachable. I felt like they were somebody that would, would really, uh, would really take opportunity, take advantage of the opportunity we were giving them. Maybe they were the first uh, person in their, in their family to go to college. We wanted people, I guess, uh, uh, you know, some coaches of, I first heard Rick Patino talk about it, you know, getting your PhD, poor, hungry, and driven. Um, you know, I wanted kids that were poor, hungry, and driven. Uh, that that this might be the only opportunity they have and and so I wanted to uh, get kids like that so so hungry kids talented kids or athletic kids hungry kids tough kids and uh, we built a program and uh, you know we uh, we had great success there we became more than relevant Uh, we were nationally ranked a number of times we set all kinds of school records Uh, we were we set national records for rebounding um, and we, uh, you know, it was a fun time and, uh, you know, we, uh, we had a lot of success and, and out, I wasn't quite ready to get out of coaching, but I thought that I was, uh, I thought that I wanted to be an AD and, uh, and so an opportunity came my way. And so even though we had almost everybody returning, uh, from a team that, that was, uh, you know, really good, uh, I, I felt it was time to make that move to be an AD. And so it was always, I always kind of look back on that, you know, what if, what if, because, uh, you know, since then that team just continued to grow, that program continued to grow. So it was fun watching that, seeing how we were able to build that. But, but, you know, the culture, we wanted to bring in kids that, that fit my style, that fit my personality. Uh, I didn't want to, you know, put a, a square peg into a round hole. In 2014, a team of yours earned the National Champions of Character Award. For those who are unfamiliar with the award, what does the award stand for? And share with us what you did to develop players of character within your program. Yeah, well, going back to uh, to when we, you know, what we were looking at in recruiting and what our recruiting philosophy was, there was a couple things. One, I didn't want to be Jamie Beckler, the recruiter. I wanted to be Jamie Beckler, the coach, when I was recruiting. So it wasn't – we weren't looking at necessarily – transactional recruiting we wanted to be transformational in our recruiting so we wanted to when we were out recruiting we were looking for the right kind of kids uh not necessarily 
great kids. Like I said, not necessarily, you know, uh, uh, honor roll students, homecoming queens, people that were always doing the right things, but we wanted the right kind of kids in terms of, you know, I thought that they would be coachable. I thought that they were hungry. They were driven, like I said earlier. And so when we went out in the recruiting aspect of it, we were, uh, we were trying to get to know them early on and it wasn't just trying to woo them to come to our school and let's be appealing. So they'll pick us. I wanted to get to know them in the process. So one of the ways we did that was I wanted them to see coach Beckler, not recruiter Beckler. And so, you know, we would talk to them during the recruiting process about different aspects of our culture. And if I saw them doing something in a game that wouldn't live up to their standards or our standards, I would talk to them about that. And so we started the process early. Uh, this is a long, sorry, Brian, this is a long way to get to your question about uh, being champions of character. No but, but uh, you know, it, we wanted to have people of character, but we weren't necessarily going to recruit the best kids right away that didn't have any problems. But we wanted to make sure that when we recruited these kids, that they knew what they were getting into and we knew what we were getting into with them. And so let's say they had baggage or we were a second chance opportunity for them or a final chance opportunity. I wanted to know what I was getting. Um, I wanted to know that I could trust them and I wanted to get to know them and not just do the typical recruiting and wooing of them. And so when they were getting on campus, a lot of these kids, we already felt good about, we trusted, um, we felt that they were coachable and they were kids that, that uh, could get along with each other, that would be able to handle adversity, that, uh, wouldn't, that would put their agendas to the side. And so we had some stuff to build upon. And so once they got to our campus, we started doing a lot of leadership training. And we tried to train every player in our program about how to handle different situations, uh, how to be the best person that they could be, how to grow as a person how to make good choices. And so we, we did a lot of that. And, and part of that was community service. And we did so much community service. And, and eventually um, we were a finalist a couple times for the NAIA's National Champions of Character Award. And finally, uh, uh, my last year there, we actually won the award uh, for being the team that demonstrated. Uh, uh, the NAIA has five core principles that they emphasize uh, respect, responsibility, integrity, servant leadership, and sportsmanship. And uh, they felt that we had done the best of any women's basketball team during that year of, uh, of displaying those characteristics and doing the things that, uh, that bring pride to the NAI and show a, a champion, you know, kind of being uh, champions of character, being people that are out there uh, doing stuff for others and demonstrating um, demonstrating uh just all those those five those five areas you know i'm not sure that we had a technical foul that whole year maybe we did um and we had awfully competitive kids that were awfully aggressive and uh you know they weren't necessarily saints they weren't necessarily you know uh uh, uh you know uh, uh they weren't all 4.0s they weren't all kids that never got in trouble but but you know they they stayed focused and they understood what their priorities were. And, and so when they would get frustrated in games, they showed it in other ways or, or they learned how to, uh, we, we tried to teach them how to take their frustrations out in other ways and, and not to show that outward emotion and not get frustrated by a referee or, or not do any cheap shots, those kind of things. And, and certainly we weren't perfect, but, but we tried to teach them and uh, yeah, we ended up, it was a great honor to get awarded, to, to get rewarded with that. 
Touching on something, Jamie, that you talked about earlier is your, you know, guidance of John Maxwell help tra helping train you um, in your leadership development. And so, you know, John Maxwell is known by many as, as one of the top leadership experts in the world. And so could you share with our audience a little bit what that training was like and what were some of the most impactful things that you took away from that mentorship? Yeah, I, pr I appreciate you asking that question and, and the kind words about John Maxwell. You know, he, uh, as a coach, I was always somebody that was reading his stuff and always trying to implement his stuff as much as possible with my teams. And then when I had the opportunity to, um, to be trained by he and his, in his teaching staff, uh, I believe there were five, five, he had five full-time teaching staff and, uh, I was able to go through that program and for about six or seven months get trained in all this leader, all, I mean, essentially all of his leadership stuff. And, and it's amazing because, you know, kind of my philosophy of leadership is in large part due to his, his philosophies and what he's put out in over a hundred books. And, uh, you know, one of the things that stands out is, is kind of his definition of leadership or what he thinks about in leadership is that leadership is not about positions or titles or authority or flow charts or, you know, your status. And it, it's about one life influencing another and anybody can be a leader. It's not just, you know, a coach. It's not just the captain. It's anybody because anybody can have influence. And, uh, and I kind of took that the first time I heard that I was like, wow, that, you know, that kind of makes sense. And that kind of led me to teach my teams, teach everybody on my team and to try to train up everybody to be captains of themselves, uh, to influence one another positively, no matter what their role was or status on the team. And, you know, everybody listening to this right now, I mean, you have such a great following, such a great podcast and, and the coaches that listen to this, they all have a status. They all have a position, you know, on their business card, if they have a business card, or on the plaque on their, on their, their door leading to their office, it, it says, you know, coach, head coach, assistant coach, or whatever, and they all have a title. But the best leaders are the ones that people are going to follow that, that influence others, whether they have a title or not. So a title just is a starting point. Uh, but you want to get beyond that. And that's what one of the things that I learned from John Maxwell was, you know, the positional leadership, that's just a starting point. And the best coaches are the ones that move on from there. You know, players will follow us as coaches because they have to. They have to follow us because of our position. But you want them to follow us because, you know, uh, they respect us. You want them to follow us because uh, we can take them from where they are to where they, they want to be. You know, that we can add value to, to their lives, that we can help them be successful. That's why you want people following you, not just because you're the boss. And I don't know how many times, you know, we've, we've had coaches that we've played for or even our parents or even I've done this at times, you know, well, do this because I say so. Do this because I tell you to. You know, that's really just an at, at atmosphere of compliance. You know, we're just trying to get compliant followers. And, you know, certainly we want followers, but really a true leader is somebody that's going to develop other leaders, that empowers other leaders and, uh, and equips people, enriches people. And, and that's really what, you know, if we're in the coaching business, we can't be around all the time. We, we're not going to always be in every locker room situation, every cafeteria situation, every bus ride, uh, every ride home with the parents. So what are we doing to equip our, our players to be leaders and not just compliant followers? And so some of that stuff is what I got from John Maxwell. And then I, I've kind of taken it through the years and, and uh, um, you know, built upon that in, in the trainings, both with my teams and, and now when I work with other teams. Touched on a piece there that I think is very 
crucial to that development of that championship culture, which is the empowering of the players. So for some of our listeners, what are some of the ways that coaches can develop and empower their athletes so that the athletes can help cultivate other leaders on the team? Yeah, well, first of all, you know, the very first thing, and and this sounds so easy to say, but it's so hard to do, is we have to, as a coach, or if we're in a position of leadership, if we're in a, have a status of leadership, is that we have to decide that we are going to do this. Um, so many of us, you know, squeeze, squeeze that and hold on to that leadership that we are in charge. And, you know, we don't want anyone else to to uh, get in the way of that or we're, we don't trust our players. And you know what? The reality is, yeah, we are smarter and we're a better leader in some ways than a 16-year-old or a 17-year-old, but we can't do it all. And we need our team to buy in. If we want them, the best cultures and the best teams are the ones that typically, typically have players that are bought in, that invest, that uh, will lead each other, that will hold each other accountable, that will remind each other of the standards. So the very first thing is you have to decide in your own mind as a coach, hey, I'm okay with this. I, I want my team to be player led. I want at the end of the day for them to hold each other accountable, for them to uplift one another, encourage one another and bring each other along and, and to achieve those common goals. And then once you decide that that's okay, that that's what you want, then you got to go about training them and some ways to train them, some ways to equip them essentially, uh, with fire extinguishers, you know, when, when those fires break out in your locker room or the back of the bus or the cafeteria, you want them to have fire extinguishers as opposed to lighter fluid. And so you have to train them and equip them with, all right, what are some things that are going to happen during the year? Uh, and then work with them to, to help develop an understanding of how to handle those things. What, what conversations are going to creep up with your parents? What conversations are going to creep up with, uh, your teammates and how can you handle that? What are some things that you can say to help remind people of our standards and what we're all fighting for, what we're all trying to achieve? And then also put some things in, in, um, in their, uh, give them some opportunities, put some things, uh, uh, in their way so that they can, they can take advantage of opportunities to lead. So some of the easiest things is give them a chance to lead during practice. And, and I know we're, we're, we're so jealous of our practice time and we don't want to give up practice time, but, but there may just be five minutes a day that you could devote to player-led practice. So maybe they were on one drill uh, in practice. Maybe they just run the stretching or the pre-practice warm-up. Give them opportunities to lead. Uh, give them opportunities to fail and fail without the fear of failure fail with knowing that, okay, uh, I failed, but coach then talked to me about this. Coach talked to all of us about this, about what maybe we could have done differently. And, and coach didn't pass judgment. They just, coach understood that this was my first time really putting myself out there. Because once again, you might have two or three really, really good captains, but they're not always going to be around everybody. And you're not always going to be around everybody. And so the more you can develop all your players to, to be good influences and to lead others um, and to become better leaders than the better program you're going to have. When those two freshmen that rarely play, but they're together, uh, they're in the cafeteria or they're in the locker room getting dressed and no one else is around, well, they have an ch- opportunity to lead each other and to influence each other for the better. And so you want to have given them opportunities to lead, make them feel comfortable with that. So maybe in practice, have different people rotate how they lead uh, pre-practice warm-up. Maybe it's just who, uh, 
who has something inspirational to say in a post game or a post practice huddle, you know, maybe give, give him a, a lead time or, or, or a, a, you know, heads up. Hey, Jalen, would you be comfortable today if uh, you said a few words after practice? And if Jalen, you know, Jalen might say, no, I don't quite feel comfortable yet. And then you could be like, Hey man, that's okay. You know, but I'd love for you to do it in a couple of weeks. Do you think you could come up with maybe just 60 seconds, just a few words, and then give them some heads up on that, but give them some opportunities to be successful. And if they fail, that's okay. Uh, John Maxwell actually has a book that says, sometimes you win, sometimes you lose, but the lose is canceled, is, is crossed off and it says learn. So sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. Um, and that's what we want to do is we want to provide our players opportunities to, uh, to lead. Um, you know, there's so many different things that, that they can do to, uh, to be a leader, but organizing practice or organizing one drill in practice, uh, uh, coaching a team for five minutes, coaching a team for 10 minutes where they make the decisions, they call timeouts, those kind of things not only helps their leadership, but they also see things from a different perspective. Most of the time, these players are only seeing their tree and not the whole forest. And so they start to understand why you make decisions, why you do the things you do when they are in roles similar to yours. Like say a drill, say they have a drill and they're doing a five minute drill. They might after at the end of that five minutes, they might've only done that drill for one minute because they might've talked way too long or they may never have figured out how to rotate properly because they didn't think about that. So they start to think about things more as well. So the more that you can give them opportunities to lead, uh, the better. One, one last thing I want to mention, Brian, that I think we did this successfully. I think it's an awesome thing that you can do with any team. And it also takes uh, some of the work off your plate as a coach is I love the committee approach to have committees within your team. So uh, let's say I have a basketball team or we'll do football because most of your, most of your audience is football. So let's say you have, uh, I'm not very good at numbers and math. So we'll say a hundred, let's say you have a hundred players. You could have uh you could have uh, on that team with 100 players, let's say you have uh, 10 committees and you could have 10 players on each committee and, uh, or maybe you have, uh, uh, you know, you break it down and you have even more committees, but you could have players on your, on your team that are on roles and maybe you only have two or three captains, but now with the committees, you have 10 captains of the committees or 10 chairs of the committees. And they're coming up with stuff like what your pregame music's going to be, what social media looks like, how to get more people to your games, more fans to your games, what, what off season workouts might be, what our fun activities are going to be on Thursday night before a game, you know, the night before a game. Um, maybe what uh, your uh, community service activities are going to be like, what your fundraising activity, what, what stuff we're going to wear on the road, where we're going to go eat. So all kinds of things you have committees and that then gets those kids, you know, that, that ninth grader and a team of a hundred that doesn't have a say now they're on a committee with only nine other people. They have more of a say now and, and you get more people stepping up, taking leadership roles, more people get to say things and you spread out your leadership a little bit. Um, that has worked really, really well with a lot of teams that have done that. Now, going back to other things that you have done with your career, one of those things being an author, you have written a couple of books, and one of those books was The Leadership Playbook. For coaches looking to improve their leadership development, how can this book be a valuable resource for them? Yeah, I appreciate you mentioning it, Brian. Uh, yeah, The Leadership Playbook was, it came about because, 
I'm going around talking to lots and lots of teams and, and this one coach, uh, you know, I'm talking to him and he's like, man, we'd really love to bring you in, but we really can't afford to do it right now. Do you have kind of what you say? Do you have kind of a, a playbook or do you have like a handbook or a manual or do you have something written down that we could get uh, to use with our team instead of having you come in? And, and it was kind of at that point that I started thinking, man, I probably should have that because if, if I think that this stuff is, is valuable or if I think teams can, can utilize some of this stuff, then I, I can't possibly talk to every team. And so if we can, uh, you know, if we can, can uh, have a book or written materials that people can get, that might be able to help out more people. And so uh, fortunately, we were able to, uh, to write this book, get it out there. And uh, we, we separated the chapters. There's different chapters on various leadership uh, uh, ideas. So maybe one chapter is on verbal leadership. One chapter is on if you're a positional leadership, you know, like if so, if you're a captain, how do you lead if you're a captain? And then how do you lead if you're not a captain? How do you lead, you know, essentially from the end of the bench? How do you lead no matter what your role is? Uh, how to be a better teammate? And, and it's pretty much littered with story after story after story. Uh, I wanted it to be about stories. So uh, we'll tell a story. Uh, it could be a, from a, a fighter pilot story to stories about, uh, you know, Michael Jordan to stories about Steph Curry. And then, uh, you know, we'll tell the story and then I will relate it to that theme and, and uh, kind of wrap it up in a, a nice little bow and, and put my insights and my perspective on it. And we, uh, we've had so many teams that have gotten that book and, and it's been awesome to see uh, the kind words that people have had, but also the teams that have done that. And, and some teams have even gotten like, uh, uh, like their booster club to pay for the books, but they've also gotten maybe a, a local restaurant to, uh, to pay for a meal. So like the student athlete leadership group or the sports team once a week, will will do our, we have chapter discussion guides that come along with each chapter. And so uh, uh, they might go to a restaurant once a week and work on, uh, you know, the questions and talk about the chapter, almost like a book club. And they've gotten local restaurants to pay it's been awesome to see that and the creativity and the way, you know, booster clubs and, and some of the, the schools have realized the importance of leadership. Another one of your books that you just actually recently released this last November, I believe, was The Bus Trip. Give our audience a preview of what that book is all about and what motivated you to write the story. Yeah, it, it came out at Thanksgiving, or it came out around Thanksgiving time, the week of Thanksgiving. And, um, uh, yeah, we were excited about that. It's a fictional book. I'd written, I'd read, uh, I, I love John Gordon's books, uh, The Energy Bus, uh, The Carpenter Training Camp. He's written so many good books, uh, fictional books. And, and then a guy named Patrick Lencioni, who's written Five Dysfunctions of a, of a Team. And then Todd Gonware wrote Lead for God's Sakes. And so I love that style, the fable or the parable, the modern day parable type. And, and so since I loved it, I was like, you know what, let's write one of these. And so we essentially took the leadership playbook and we put it into fictional form. And uh, it's, it's about this team that's got some struggles going on. And uh, throughout the, this one bus trip, they have a number of situations and a number of conversations that occur that uh, kind of change up the way the kids think about their team and the way they think about leadership. And, and by the end of the book, they've essentially come to realize that they need to be 
more positive leaders, they need to be better teammates and that if the team is going to be better, if the culture is going to be better, then it needs to start with them and, and each one individually needs to do better. And then, uh, um, they kind of come to that realization at the end, but, but it's essentially a handbook, uh, for how kids can, can deal with difficult conversations, difficult situations that come up. Uh, you know, we have parents confronting the coach. We have roommates that, uh, one plays and one doesn't play. We have a captain that doesn't play, but he's a captain only because he's the senior. And so the seniors get selected as captains, but he's not really worthy of being a captain. Uh, so we have all these, we have all these scenarios that, uh, can occur. And, and, you know, I was fortunate to have about 15 people, uh, 15 current, uh, coaches and athletic directors serve on my advisory committee for this. And then a couple current student athletes, because I wanted it to be, uh, realistic. I wanted it to be relevant to students that might read it. I didn't want it to be just this old guy, Jamie Beckler, you know, writing this book that he thought people might like. I wanted to make sure that, current coaches and current student athletes thought that it was something that would be worthwhile and relevant. And so that was awesome having those people uh, give me advice throughout and uh, sometimes slap me in the face, metaphorically speaking, and uh, tell me, no, you need to change this. No, that's not what they would say. No, this, this makes no sense. No one would, no one would talk like that. That's, that's uh, some motivational speaker talking right there. No, no 18 year old would talk like that. And so uh, it was awesome having them throughout that process. So we could put out the product that we ended up putting out. And not going into too much detail, your book um, to leave a little bit for our, our listeners to go out and, and purchase the book. But one of the things you do talk about is 10 principles that all players can do that are applicable, whether they're in sports or whether in life. Talk to us about some of these principles and what the book really does to kind of develop those things. Yeah. Um, if, if people go to, you know, you can see these 10 things. Uh, I, I post them on, on my uh, Facebook page. I post them uh, at Coach Beckler on Twitter. It's my pinned uh, tweet there. So they can see the 10 things. But uh, uh, it was fun weaving those in and out of the book, uh, in and throughout the book and, and talking about those. And it was fun to get the players to realize those things at the end. But uh, certainly people can see those 10 things if they go to my Twitter. Um, but what I wanted to do was I wanted to have 10 things essentially that all players or all athletes can do. So let's say you're the best player on your team or you're the worst player. You could do all 10 of these things and essentially outwork your talent. So if you're not a very good athlete, if you're at the end of the bench, uh, or if you rarely play, if you do these 10 things, then you're probably going to have a chance to at least start playing a little bit, or you might go from bad to average. And if you're a, a starter already, if you're really good, if you can do these 10 things, then you can also, you can, you can improve, you can outwork your good talent already and become elite. Um, and so things like improve and coachable, uh, that's one of them. You could, every player can improve. Every player can be coachable. And I talk about stuff like uh, Kevin Durant. Kevin Durant, his coach uh, told him when he, was, uh, when he was with the Oklahoma City Thunder, his coach there said that Kevin works every day like he's trying to make the team. Uh, every day is a tryout for Kevin. He's always outworking his talent. And, and so, you know, how many – how many players out there, you know, they, they have a starting spot locked up or they're already all conference or they're already, they have talent, but they don't take it beyond that. They're not, maybe they're not coachable or maybe they're just not seeking to improve because man, I already got this starting, starting job uh, wrapped up. You know, I already, I'm, I'm already the starting wide receiver. Okay, great. 
you're good, you, you're fast, you have hands, you can jump, um, but you can do more. Well, what do you mean I can do more? I already, you know, I'm on the jugs machine or whatever. I can, I can ca I catch everything that's thrown to me or, okay, well, maybe you can improve in the, in the run blocking game. What? You know what? What do you mean by that? You know, or maybe you can improve when you're not the first option on this pass play. Maybe the way you come off the, the line of scrimmage tips off the defense. And so maybe your team can be better if you improve in some other areas like this. Maybe, maybe you don't fasten your gloves all the way when it's not a play for you. Maybe it's a run play and you don't fasten your, your, your gloves. You know, all these little things. How can you improve as a player to outwork your talent and to, to go from where you are now to, to, to go to an even higher level? And, uh, you know, uh, we, uh, we just had or recently it was the Michael Jordan, the Michael Jordan, uh, the last dance uh, documentary. And, and one of the things we have in the book is we talk about Michael Jordan, this kid, the star of the team. Uh, the star of this 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 team in the book, you know, he loves Michael Jordan because his dad loved Michael Jordan, and there's a lot of memories there, and, and yada yada yada. Well, anyways, they find out they're watching this documentary about Michael Jordan and the Dream Team on their bus, and uh, they realize that the one rule that the Dream Team had in basketball, the the 1992 uh, U.S. Olympic team, the one rule that that team had was always be on time. That was the only rule that that team had. And that the next day after setting that rule in their team meeting, Michael Jordan was the first one on the bus. He was 30 minutes early that day and he was the first one on the bus. And so this kid in the book, he's like, man, I didn't realize that. And, and this is a kid that's always late because, you know, he's the star and they're going to wait for him. And, you know, we, we see this on some teams, you know, not every team has this problem, but there's a number of teams that have problems with entitled players or players that think the rules don't apply to him. And he starts to think twice about the way that he's living and the way that he's conducting himself because kind of his idol, he learns that his idol is always on time. Um, or that's the one rule for the greatest team ever assembled pretty much. So different things like that throughout the book. Um, thing, one of the things that I, I loved when I found it out and, and, uh, there's a stat for football and, uh, uh, the Philadelphia Eagles, they won the Super Bowl two years ago and, uh, they didn't have a thousand yard rusher or a thousand yard receiver Patriots last year won the Super Bowl. They didn't have a thousand yard rusher or a thousand yard receiver this year. I thought we were going to get a third year in the row. Because uh, the 49ers would have won it without having a thousand-yard rusher or receiver, but Kansas City Chiefs screwed that up at the end, and and they did that. So I can't use that for three years in a row. But for two years in a row, and this was something in the book they talked about was for two years in a row, the Super Bowl champs, the best team in all of football, didn't have a thousand-yard rusher or receiver. So it wasn't about being a star. Um, and and there's plenty of years where you know Julio Jones leads the league in receiving, but his team maybe didn't make the playoffs or, you know, uh, you know, how many running backs do well. Saquon Barkley led the league in all purpose yards a couple of years ago, his team didn't make the playoffs. So it's not about being a star. It's not about having talent. It's about your team. And, um, you know, the football coaches out there listening to this, they can certainly understand that because football is probably the best example of a team sport out there. It doesn't matter how great your wide receiver is if uh, the rest of your team's not very good and football is the ultimate team sport. And so we wanted to put a lot of stuff in there about team in the book. Awesome stuff today, Jamie. 
just to kind of recap for our listeners, where can they find you on Twitter and then where can also they find some of your materials that you've published? Yeah, I appreciate that. Uh, uh, on Twitter, they can find me at coach Beckler and the last name is spelled B E C H L E R. It's, uh, like the old, uh, legendary Michigan football coach, Bo Schembechler. So it's spelled like, uh, like, uh, the Bo Schembechler. So coach Beckler on Twitter at coach Beckler. And then my website is also at coach Beckler and they can find links to uh, all my books at those places as well. Uh, and, and they can also find a link to my podcast as well. Success is a choice podcast. 